Compliance management can be a door opener, a value-added cost center, or a nightmare. How do you find the right path? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is brought to you by Benazon Healthcare Advocacy. Your clients and their employees expect more service, more responsiveness, and more help than ever before. You need to focus on building your book. How do you do both? Benazon. To learn more, go to benazon.com or click the Benazon logo at the top of the shiftshapersonline.com page. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special listener-only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're talking with Peter Lewins, and Peter is president at Compliance Bug, and we're talking about opportunities, tools, and maybe even some liability issues you might not have known existed around the ever-growing, ever-changing field of compliance. So with that, welcome, Peter. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. A lot of advisors are coming now from a problem-solving standpoint where a lot of folks were, but some folks were product-centric, and that ship has kind of sailed and gone off over the horizon if somebody were looking at a new way to kind of differentiate themselves or attract prospects or delight clients, is compliance a foot in the door for that? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that over my career, I've seen lots of different methodologies, sales tactics, things of that nature to try to engage prospects. And one of the things that really led me to start Compliance Bug was compliance in, in general as a foot in the door to talk to organizations about, you know, liability and things that that they may have. In today's day and age with all of the changes that have been going on in the regulatory environment, ACA has obviously become a really hot topic, but compliance really isn't new, but yet a lot of brokers and consultants aren't leveraging it as I would think in the best manner. What I have seen previously in my experience is to begin to talk to employers to educate them about potentially the liability that they may have. And a lot of folks focus on the tactical aspects of it, but it's important to kind of understand that compliance is more of a strategic conversation that they should be having. Who has liability? I mean, is it just the business owner? Do the advisors have any liability, direct or contingent? What does that minefield look like? Yeah, absolutely. Really, everybody that's talking about it has some aspect of liability with it. So obviously, the employer has, you know, the laws that are actually legislated against them. And a lot of times the laws impact fiduciaries of the organization. And a fiduciary can be anybody from the owners, directors, anybody that has, you know, discretionary ability over the plans and over the decisions of the organization as it relates to the employee benefits or workforce laws, things of that nature. But it's important to understand that the advisors, if they're talking about it, they have some considerations under their ENO for whether or not they're allowed to talk about these things. And if they're talking about them without having a deep domain expertise, you know, are they potentially, 
you know, getting a little too far outside of their normal responsibilities. Are there actually exclusions on ENO policies? Yes. Yeah, so it's important. So I'm not, you know, officially a PNC guy, but it's important to understand, you know, the way that a lot of these liability policies are written. There are exclusions oftentimes, especially like if you're an insurance broker for what you are supposed to be talking about and not. It's interesting also that, you know, even a lot of the anti-rebating laws may preclude brokers and consultants from talking about, you know, things related to HR related regulations and, and things of that nature as well. So it's important to kind of make sure that you're running on the right side of the law. Those preclude them from talking about if they're asking for compensation for it or in any case. In some cases, in any case. It's interesting. If you look at, you know, New York State a few years ago came out, I believe it's circular letter number nine, that went through a whole litany of things that brokers, consultants, when receiving commissions, were allowed to broach with their clients or offer as what would be called like a value added service. Now, if it's fee based, then it falls outside of, you know, the compensation for commissions. And so it's allowed. But even in that case, then the broker consultant should check with their E&O policy, for instance, to make sure that there would be covered for it. That's great advice. If an advisor wanted to make this a profit center within their business, because a lot of agencies with commission compression being a real thing are looking for other revenue sources, other ways to drive value to clients. How would they go about doing that? And from the issue we just discussed, would they need a separate liability policy? I know you're not a PNC guy, but I know you study this more than anybody else I know. <laughs> no. So, and it's interesting just how you would craft potentially the offering for your organization, right? So if you're looking to develop fee-based services that you are the consultant, right? Then yes, of course, you would want to make sure that one, you have the expertise in-house, but two, that you're allowed to offer that expertise. A different way potentially to make it a profit center would be to partner with another organization that would have some horsepower behind them or a solution that would be able to help clients understand what their compliance obligations are, help them fix them, and then have some sort of revenue sharing with that other organization or have some model where you can upcharge um, for their services. Well, that opens a whole other area of, of interesting conversation, I think. If you're an advisor and you're going to create a strategic partnership, what would be the three or four or five touchstones that you would suggest that those advisors look for to properly vet somebody who's going to be a strategic partner in this area? What tools, what things do they need to have? And it's a good question. One of the things that I would you know, first look for is, is the potential partner, that vendor that the broker consultant would consider using, aligned with their best interests, right? Do they have any other lines of business that may be a conflict? Does that other vendor look to potentially develop a relationship directly with their client that may ultimately down down the road push them out the door or have a conflict. Those are two main things that I would focus on outside of, you know, obviously one, are they credible? Do they themselves have, you know, and protection and, and liability insurance in case they're offering services or advice that may go south in some regard? You know, if I kind of make a direct relation or direct parallel to this. You know, I know Cobra, for instance, has been a really, you know, hot compliance related service that broker consultants often recommend or educate their employers about offering or outsourcing rather to a third party. And the due diligence of those vendors usually is pretty light. There's a lot of national providers that are out there that are 
what I would say household names in the industry. But it's interesting when you look at some of the contractual details behind those services, they may not indemnify the client if they ever make a mistake. So if you think about, you know, if you're outsourcing Cobra as an employer and that Cobra vendor forgets to send out a qualifying event notice or they forget to, you know, advise the participant of a loss of benefit or anything of that nature, who bears that responsibility? So it's interesting to note that a lot of the national providers in those cases, they don't indemnify the client. And even if they did, a lot of times they'll limit their liability to maybe one month's worth of service fees, two months worth of service fees in those regards. And it gets further muddied that if the broker ends up paying for those services, well, to your earlier question, who bears the liability for that? The employer is going to get sued, but then where does it go after that? Interesting. So it, we hear a lot about content, but this discussion and this thought process goes way beyond what content is available. It really does. Compliance is a very complicated, you know, sort of field. And, you know, I often make the analogy to, you know, the medical practice, the medical field, right? If somebody is designated as a physician, for instance, they're a cardiologist, how much time do they spend, you know, paying attention to what goes on in orthopedics or neurology? There's a lot of deep domain expertise that some people have, and it's important to recognize, you know, their limitations and when it's time to, you know, partner with other organizations that may have expertise in other areas as well. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, you're being pulled in multiple directions. Employers want you to deliver a higher level of service and employee satisfaction, and you want more time to grow your business. How do you do both? Benazon Healthcare Advocacy is the answer. Benazon helps plan members understand, utilize, and maximize their health plan and answers their benefits questions while you improve productivity, increase client retention, and grow your book. The best part about partnering with Benazon is that your agency gets all the credit. Clients see your logo, while the Benazon team of subject matter experts work to ensure resolution to specific member information and service requests. Each agency gets a dedicated telephone number and year-round, 24-7 customer support that answers the phone with your agency name. Turn your benefit on with Benazon. For more information, go to www.benazon.com or click their logo on the Shift Shapers website. Benazon. Healthcare as it should be. Now, back to our interview. Interesting. So, now that we've said it's not only about content, let's talk about content because what else would we do? There's been a, a ton of discussion and a lot of talk around wrap documents, and they may be completely familiar for some of our listeners, but for others of our listeners, it may still be a murky area or maybe some place that they haven't really delved into. So let's start with the first question, which is why is there so much discussion about wrap documents now and there wasn't really 10 years ago? <laughs> so <laughs> how much time do we have the, for the interview? <laughs> yeah, but, about 11 minutes. You can take 11 minutes. Okay. So the f- shortest answer that could possibly describe is this is not a new concept. So RIS has been around since the mid seventies. And one of the main components of ERISA is the fact that employee benefit plans have to be written in some fashion. And the responsibility falls on the employer to have a written outline of what benefits that they're offering and how they're going to be funded and the rules for the road for both the employer and the employee to follow when electing benefits and for participating in the benefit plans and so forth. The misconception on the health and welfare side for all these years is that a lot of times the materials that either a carrier or a TPA may provide 
satisfies that requirement. And quite honestly, on the carrier side, for most fully insured plans, carriers want no business in ERISA. They're there to provide you know, insurance. On the retirement side, it's interesting to note that the industry has been so heavily regulated because there's assets at stake. You know, we're familiar with some of the uh, fallout from, you know, the the large pension plans and retirement plans that were defrauded by employers. And a lot of the laws in ERISA are there to protect the participants in that regard. And so when you think about a retirement plan, there's money at stake. Well, in a health and welfare plan, they're considered unfunded. And so the regulations and the enforcement of them historically have been lax. Well, with the advent of the changes to HIPAA and recent enforcement actions for increased hiring from the Department of Labor and increased civil action and change to the ACA, well, all of a sudden now there's a renewed interest in making sure that health and welfare plans are buttoned up. And one of the main things that we see plan sponsors lack are up-to-date plan documents if they have them at all. You mentioned ERISA. And for an awful lot of practitioners, in their mind, ERISA equates with, gee, that means that only self-funded or partially self-funded plans need to deal with this. Is that the case? No, absolutely not. So fully insured plans also have to comply. So ERISA applies to any group benefit plan, which by definition could be two or more participants. And in that regard, there's always the, the chicken before the egg question and what comes first. Right, the benefit that the employer offers or a product for it. And quite honestly, the plan document comes first. The employer decides, hey, I want to offer medical, I want to offer dental, I want to offer life to my participants. And that should be written first. How it's funded, whether or not it's fully insured or self-funded, that decision comes later and is also typically described in the document. What do advisors need to do? In order, they're not attorneys. Uh, some of them may not have even ever seen a wrap document, although it's kind of hard. It's getting harder and harder to imagine. What do they do? They seek out those strategic partners. Are there shops that just do that, don't do other compliance things, or are most of the shops full-service compliance firms? Yes. So the industry is rapidly changing, right? Because it's now become an interesting topic. It's an area that some advisors can now, you know, again, offer on a fee basis. And so we've seen that there's software solutions that have popped up. Historically, there's always been consultants, lawyers, and other trained professionals that have drafted these documents. And it's important to understand that they are legal documents. So of course, they should always be reviewed by the employer's counsel. Okay. But outside of having a lawyer draft them, there's a lot of quality resources that are out there that advisors can look towards. The trouble that I have is when an advisor looks to just solely adopt software to do them because it requires a level of expertise that the advisor typically doesn't have. It's not so much to just ask their client a bunch of questions on a checklist and then turn around and plug those answers into a software package to then spit out materials that they really don't know what impact it may have long-term on the employer or, you know, any potential litigation, if that should ever happen to the employer, how does that document protect both the employer and the participant in that regard? So the solution for folks who want to go out and find software type solutions, at least at, at the beginning, is to make sure that it's always reviewed by counsel to work in tandem with an attorney. What would you recommend? I mean, any best practice for any advisor, if they're doing anything as it relates to law or tax, there should always be some sort of caveat. Again, I, going back to what does your E&O policy have? You know, from, from personal experience, when I was on the agency side, you know, we brought on an ERISA attorney to help 
be a consultant to our clients. And it was always important that we never said that, oh, they're our in-house counsel or they're our legal advisor for employers because you never want to, you know, assert that you're providing legal advice in that regard. So from an advisor that's looking to adopt a software package, you know, maybe as a stepping stone or a starting point, I'm often hesitant to recommend those options because it's fraught with potential liability that they may not truly understand what they're getting themselves into. Even if that software is backed up by legal horsepower, you know, a lot of the packages say that, you know, that they've got attorney resources or they will indemnify the client. I often recommend that the advisor do their due diligence and make sure that they're looking at all the fine print in those agreements. So we've got three or four minutes left. And I thought another place that we should touch is that while we're talking about how you do this and how you might enter it and what it might mean for your practice, everybody I think understands that this is not a static set of rules. There are rules and regulations that pop out of Washington like most people change their socks. How do you stay on top of that as an advisor? It's a great question. And so there's obviously lots of great resources that are out there. But it's important to understand that as an advisor, to educate yourself is one component. But how are you then educating the employer to provide the maximum value to them? So, you know, a lot of the resources that are out there have content that can be pushed out to the employer, but how much of that really is absorbed and how much value does that really bring to the employers? I've always been in the mindset to partner with clients to make sure that you're giving them tools and resources that truly add value to their organization all across their organization, not just necessarily to HR, but also to the C-suite. A lot of times CEOs, CFOs, board members, they understand that there's compliance and regulatory issues that they have to pay attention to, but they don't really know what impact that has to their organization. They just assume that HR is taking care of it. And a lot of the changes that have you know recently been seen, the C-suite is just really clueless about how it impacts their organization. How, as an advisor, that puts you kind of in an awkward position, other than partnering with a firm that's full service, how do you keep up with all this stuff? I mean, what do you recommend? Right. So to obviously read as much as possible and pay attention to, you know, those thought leaders that are in the industry and those organizations that are there to partner with the agency and the advisory firm to make sure that your staff is trained, that you have, you know, all the latest information and that you know how it relates to employers. There's lots of great content that are out there, you know, things like podcasts and, you know, paying attention to some of the legal blogs and all of that are all great ways to kind of stay on top of it to keep oneself, you know, on top of all the the laws and changes. There's a robust audit process that DOL and others go through with this. So maybe an interesting question as we're wrapping up is, in your experience, what are the top one or two things you see that get people caught with their documents down and end them up in an audit position? Sure. So it's interesting to note, I mean, if anybody is interested, we have an actual 51-point DOL checklist or an audit guide that is for download from our website. But a lot of the things that the auditors are looking for are historical records, things that show a good faith effort that the employer has made 
to make sure that they're sending out the required notices to their participants, having the appropriate documents on file, making sure that staff members are trained on the rules of the road. So as I mentioned, you know, about COBRA, right? Just because you outsource it doesn't mean that the employer doesn't have any liability. And a lot of times in the audits that take place or even civil lawsuits, they're looking for a historical fact pattern that those outsourced vendors, for instance, have themselves been audited to make sure that the employer is staying on top of their obligation. So there's a lot of different things that the DOL looks for or civil cases look for that go back historically. It's not just a point in time. And we'll make that audit guide available on the Shift Shapers website as well for folks who want it. Peter Lewinson, president at Compliance Bug. Peter, thank you for a fascinating discussion about the wild and wide world of compliance. David, thank you so much for having me. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.